Welcome to the Vigor Life Podcast, a source of inspiration, lessons, stories, skill sets, mindsets, and strategies to invigorate and expand all areas of your life. Let's go. I'm so excited for you guys to hear today's podcast episode with Kyle Dobbs, who's the owner of Compound Performance and the Compound app. And I mean, he's got 17 years experience working in industry, 20,000 plus sessions, 10 years of experience in leadership positions, overseeing all types of levels of management, individual facilities, uh, national level positions, and in five years of entrepreneurship, like he started again, his his own business, both online and offline. Uh, so many, so many lessons there. And we talk about skill sets to succeed in industry and also the evolution of your career. So we talk about all different aspects of that, as well as I had to dive into how to build an athlete for life, uh, his viewpoints on that. Uh, we have a lot, a lot of points that we agreed on, but I really, really want you to check this out. You're going to love this episode. Can't wait. Welcome to Vigor Life Podcast. You guys got the, the dope intro, but man, it is it is great to have Kyle finally on the show. It's one of those things where like I write down, I'm like, who do I want to have on the show? Uh, who do I want to have a conversation with and dive deep on stuff? And you were up there and it's like, it, it took my way to get here. But man, here we are. It's a, it's a pleasure to have you on the show, brother. No, it's it's an honor, man. I really appreciate having me on, and I've I've been a big fan and follower of yours for a long time as well. So nothing but uh, the feelings mutual, you know, all the way Thank around. You, so I appreciate. I appreciate it. it. And and this, you know, what I said too before we kind of turn on the, the record is like, I really want to first dive in because you have such a, um, I would say, a background of different things that you've done in the industry and been doing it for a while that I wanted to dive into what those are, where you are, because now you do a lot of education, online coaching, um, but you've been through the gamut and, and I love that. So like, I, I want it for everybody that doesn't know you, which, you know, we'll, we'll make sure that everybody's following you after this. Um, but to give kind of a little bit of a rundown, you know, how you got and when you got into the industry and your path, because I think that's very, very important to even understand your viewpoints and everything we're going to talk about afterwards. Um, so I, I, and two, like, there's probably some stuff that I haven't read, uh, or dug into or heard, which, so it's going to be good for me to, to um to dive into that yeah yeah I'll, I'll give the overview and then we can we can dig in deeper anywhere along the pathway but i'm you know first and foremost your your classic you know often injured athlete that discovered training through rehab and you know fell in love with the process and, and all of that so i grew up you know playing basketball and running track i i did both well i did basketball all the way through college i did track through my almost my sophomore year i tore my hip flexor um, and that kind of ended my, my running strictly running, you know, uh, career. Um, but then I played basketball through five years, I had a medical red shirt in there too, and a few more injuries and, and really just never fulfilled any kind of my potential because of that. And, and some other things probably off the court as well. And, but one thing is, you know, I did fall in love with the training process, you know, just like I said, kind of very cliche for this industry. I feel like a lot of us are in that boat. Um, so always loved sports, always loved athletics, you know, always loved competition and, and that side of things. I also was a double major biology chemistry in uh, undergrad with a minor in physical science. So it was actually a pre-med major. Um, so I didn't go the exercise science route, but I found out again, pretty early in my, my undergrad that I didn't want to go to med school. Like that wasn't really the route I wanted to go. I, I really wanted to be more in the, you know, quote unquote, preventative health field. And, you know, like I wanted to go and kind of get into training after school. I kind of realized that early on. So 
I spent a lot of time with my SNC coach. I spent a lot of time with my athletic trainers, kind of watched what they were doing, got advice from them as well. Um, ended up getting my CSCS right out of school and really wanted to work with athletes, you know, and that was kind of my goal as, you know, and dream, you know, I think all athletes want to work with athletes. That, that's yeah. what we know. Right. And promptly moved to New York, um, where I was working in a box gym with no athletes and, and really had to, you know, as a 20, 23, 24 year old, just reevaluate what fitness actually meant to me. Right. Because I'd only seen one side of it from that perspective. And I would really never interacted with the more general population field and kind of in, in their needs. Right. So early on in my career, and this was, you know, this is before social media, this is before iPhones, right? Like I'm, I'm 40 years old. I've been in the industry for forever. And the, the way that you got better and the way that you grew, you know, early on in your career is you just, you watched what other people in the same environment that you were in were doing. Right. So I, I was, I don't want to say I was a pest, but I was probably a little bit of a pest, you know, early on in my career, I would just follow coaches around the coaches that were doing really well. They were making good money that had full client books and experience. I just basically shadowed them without getting permission. You know, sometimes I had permission, but I just watched everything they did. If they got to the gym at 5am, I got to the gym at 5am, whether I had a client or not. If they stayed until 8, 9pm, I stayed until 8 or 9pm. And I prospected those hours and I talked to people on the floor and and I really kind of got an idea of like what it took to be successful contextually in that arena, right? In the gym that I was working in, in New York. And through that, I also kind of got an idea of, you know, different education, you know, models and systems to kind of invest in from that perspective too. And what would actually move me further with that demographic, with that clientele, rather than just, you know, kind of picking and choosing the things that I myself wanted to learn about early on in my career. So I, I kind of went through and, you know, did all of that. And, and two months in, I was training 150 sessions plus a month and selling yeah. twenty five dollars to $30,000 a month in training. And I, I rose really quickly. I was probably my manager's favorite person in the gym because I, I didn't turn down anything. I didn't, like if there was someone who wanted to do an assessment or a consult or a free session or, or he just wanted me to talk to for a sale or whatever, I would Everything do it. I never... Yes. I never said no. I didn't know what no meant. Um, I, I lived at the gym. My wife was working, you know, full time in the fashion industry. So she was also working, you know, 50, 60, 70 hour weeks. And we were just hustling. You know, I was working seven days a week um, for probably three, four years, you know, and that I think, again, you know, it was a grind, but it it also taught me a ton about not only training, but just like the perspective of of hard work and getting up and getting it done and doing what you needed to do to be successful in this field. Right. Because there wasn't, there weren't the options, you know, you've been in the field for, for a long time too. And like social media wasn't a thing. You couldn't market yourself as an individual very well. There just the, there weren't, there weren't the modems for that from that perspective. So you really just had to get really well known in the environment you were directly in. So it's like, I was the mayor of that gym. I knew everybody. I talked to everybody. I interacted with everybody. I trained as many people as I possibly could. Um, and I did that for several years, you know, and, and I think I got to a point where I was getting really burnt out. My schedule was ridiculous. I was training 200 plus sessions a month um, yeah. for, for several years and also doing a lot of education inside the gym. You know, I, I, 
I always think I had a, I had a manager at one point named, named Anita and she's awesome. She, and she's, she's again, someone you'll never find on social media, but she's fantastic. But I was complaining to her one day about, you know, some of the younger coaches and the things they were doing. And she basically just said, Hey, like, put up or shut up. She was like, well, you can complain about it. You can do something about it. You know? So I started with this once a week, small education hour within the gym with our staff. And within three months, we were, we were almost a hundred people deep with people coming from other gyms within our same organization throughout the city. Um, and then I got into working on what we called onboarding for new coaches. So every month, all the new hires would go through a week long onboarding process for all of New York. So I would, I would be standing in front of 60 to 150 brand new coaches, teaching them everything from I really from a training perspective. And again, this is going to date me a little bit, but the OPT model, the FMS, the overhead squat, like yeah. all those things, right? Like going through it all, like the stuff that was, that was real popular back in those like kind of 2006 to 2010, you know, 15 range and, and going through it and just making sure that they knew some of the, like the bare fundamentals, you know, then understood some of the, the, the kind of the founding movement principles that we would be using, you know, as we got a new client on board and assessed them and kind of took them through a programming uh, standpoint. Um, from there, I got into management and I started managing singular facilities in New York. I was manager of the year for the country for that organization for two straight years. Um, and then went into, wanted to go into multi-gym management and kind of went into that aspect of things. Um, and then again, kind of, kind of not didn't, didn't get burnt out, but got frustrated just with what my ceiling kind of was and what my level of autonomy was, because at that point, my, you know, taking a lot of education and investing a lot in, in that realm, my views kind of differed from what I was teaching people. Right. So I had kind of this internal conflict as far as like what, what we were doing as a company versus what I really wanted to do from an education perspective with our coaches and, and moving them forward and trying to elevate them and kind of started reaching out and, and, you know, heard from a gym where I'd taken a lot of education called peak performance. And at that time it was one of the, it was like the men's health was, national was gym of the fun. year. Yeah. Like it was a place to go, you know, it was a place to go. And, and they were revamping things and moving into a new location and building out this super gym and they wanted to move it into different markets. And so I, I went in and I interviewed and I got the, the director of personal training and with the goal to move it from New York into, you know, Miami, Chicago, Dallas, LA, whatever, right. All, all the major markets in the U S and, you know, after almost a year, it just, funding fell out. We had a lot of issues from just back in building stuff, like just, just crazy stuff happening that the whole, whole project just kind of collapsed, you know, yeah, and okay. everybody kind of went their separate ways. And, you know, I did have the opportunity at that point. That's where I met like Pat Davidson and, you know, Doug Gigi and the resilient guys and just a bunch of just really smart, knowledgeable coaches. And, and they, again, like kind of, pushed me in a different direction, you know, from an education perspective. And I got into a lot of other, other different models and systems from that perspective. And also just kind of a different understanding of how gyms operated. Cause we were working on like a very high end boutique private model, as opposed to like kind of the box world that I was coming from. So I got to see it from that side and, and managing from that end. Um, and from there I went into a residential and organizational fitness and um, company called the right fit where I was their national director of fitness and personnel. So I oversaw 
just over 2000 coaches, you know, nationwide in several different markets and 90 or so locations between New York and other markets. Um, and everything was in, was in uh, very high end, very high luxury, you know, residential buildings or like corporate fitness centers within, you know, like hedge funds or banking centers or whatever. Right. So again, private gyms outfitted super well um, and managed all the training and things that were happening within those. And, you know, that was a whole nother experience for me because I went in and they didn't really have a model. You know, I, I was kind of in charge of building this whole thing out. So I got to go through and look at profitability margins and build out new pricing structures and new hiring practices, basically got to write the policies and procedures book for the organization and kind of go through the entire guidelines from that perspective, turn it into an education process, do all the continuing education for all the coaches, bring people in for seminars and all that stuff, create modules. Um, so I got to kind of experience that side of things, right? And um, that was super fun. And kind of the same thing happened at that point, you know, family-wise, um, we'd moved out to New Jersey and into the suburbs. I've got two young, very young kids at that point. They were, I think, two and four, two and five, somewhere in that range. And again, it's like I was getting up and getting on a train before they woke up and I was coming home before they went to bed, you know, and I did that for about you know, year and a half, two years and, and had enough with that. And, you know, all this time I was also doing corporate consulting. So I was working with C-level suites, you know, and doing everything from, you know, managing their HRV through like daily Omega wave readings and kind of organizing that to doing monthly blood work to doing, you know, kind of all of those things um, and building out programs built around those. And, and just, just a ton of experience started working with and, and kind of, um, Again, consulting with a strengthening and conditioning staffs for for different universities and like uh, lower level professional teams here and there, and really decided I kind of wanted to start my own business, you know, from that perspective. So planned that out, moved back to the Midwest, closer to family. Um, now I'm in St. Louis. That's where my wife is originally from, yeah. um, and started Compound Performance just over five years ago, um, and. It was, you know, again, did had no idea what I was getting into, you know, but but had to build it from the ground up, you know, everything from getting the LLC to to building out, you know, all the the back end platforms and whatever. Um, in the first year, kind of surprised myself, worked with over 200 coaches and athletes, you know, over the course of that time. Since then, we've worked with over 3,000, I think, is is the count as yeah. of right now, coaches and athletes, and expanded into not just remote coaching service, but team training plus uh, education, group education. Um, and then a year and a half ago, co-founded another business, um, which is a uh, tech app for nutrition delivery, the Compound app, um, which we're now, again, have been kind of running and testing for about a year and are getting ready to go through our first fundraising stage. Uh, fundraising stage. So we were able to get the app developed, bring on developers, um, basically beta test it for over a year with just under 300 coaches and right around six to 7,000 total users over that time um, from an athlete perspective and client perspective and kind of work out all the, all the, you know, bugs and the kinks and things like that, but be profitable, you know, from that perspective, kind of right off the bat. Um, and now we're looking to grow that. So yeah, currently it's, trying to manage two businesses and eight employees and two kids and two dogs and keep my wife happy and, um, and try to make time to, you know, get outside on the weekends and have, you know, coach sports teams and have a good time. So 
Man, and this, man, that's that's this is why I asked you this question because for there's some there's some parts of that that I wasn't um I was completely aware of, and I didn't want to stop you because there's actually a lot of valuable things that you said throughout that. But I mean, there's not a lot that you haven't done, which you know, um, which again, you it gives you so many different perspectives. Actually, I mean, this is this is why I I knew I'd love this conversation because you know not only where you are, I start here. I'm gonna bust my butt, become like really in demand, right? And from there you moved into education, from there you moved into management and in diff- management of different companies, smaller, bigger. Um, yep. And then going into, again, on your own, but your own education, your own platforms that you know deliver, whether it's the educational piece or actual training piece. So it's like that, that's running the gamut. And because that went through a, a whole period of time, like, you, you know, it was, it, we have such similar, honestly, stories because yeah. I was a basketball guy, you know, I'm 42. Um, when I started, I mean, I started in Slovenia, there was like nothing when we started the gym there 16 years ago. But then when I came here, it was very, very similar. Cause like same thing, big box gyms, you know, LA fitness vision quest, I developed their systems and so on and so forth. But this is why, but, but because you've run the gamut of this time frame where it went from, you know, you got, you had to figure it out, right. It was word of mouth. It was referrals. It was talking to people. It was, I mean, I remember putting uh uh say those those signs in, in oh. into the uh in, into the ground for with you know text me type of thing like I mean all, all school our cards at every bodega deli coffee shop grocery yep. store like ev- everywhere in the neighborhood right you know we were on like my first gym was in Union Square like we were on 12th Street and 4th Avenue and man, I I knew every business owner for you know four blocks every way I knew th- I mean you just that's the way you had to do it back then. You know, and it's, it's crazy. Like you said, like, yeah, dropping signs places, like dropping cards, talking to people, building a name, building a brand. Like it's, it, it was a hustle that I don't think a lot of people who are getting in the industry now, like fully understand. Like I, I got, like, I, I do mentorship and leadership stuff where I've got people that complain about like posting on social media. And I'm like, man, like I used <laughs> to walk around New York in like 95 degrees and in the middle of July, dropping cards on people's doorstep and knocking on doors and windows to get into like condos and get in and, and talk to the, like the residential uh, team for like different buildings and stuff. You know, it's like, this is nothing. And this from is that it, perspective. Th- that's, and that's where I wanted to dive into first because phase one to me, it's like step one. Uh, and I know we can riff on this, but what, you know, what do you think, you know, for the per- person, for the coach today, right. If you go like, Hey, look for you to become successful and successful can mean like, you're working out of another gym. You got, you know, you're solo out of your garage. You're, uh, you know, you got your own small PT business. What do you feel are the kind of almost like the principles, you know, we can talk a little tactics and strategies too, but like the principles are like, these are the skill sets that you need today to be successful and to build it. You know, you mentioned like, man, in two, three, two years, or you were, you were completely packed, right? Um, even less than that. But like in two years, you're like, Hey, reputation, I'm, I'm, I've got like 200 sessions um, per month going, right? So what would you say today would be some of those principles and skill sets that you believe coaches must have the foundationally to, to be able to do that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a few different ways to look at this from from a lens perspective. And, and one of the things that I always work with with my people is, you know, first and foremost, you're, you're not going to be able to work in this industry if you're not making ends meet, right? Like nobody likes to talk about 
financial mm-hmm. success. We, you know, and and I think it's good to focus on clients and good to focus on client results. But those those two things aren't mutually exclusive, right? Like you you have yeah. to if you're good at one, you're going to be good at the other. You know, more likely, right? Mm-hmm. So the first thing that I always sit down with people, and again, you know this from working in different markets as well, is like you can't just say I want to make six figures in this industry, right? Like you have to have a better understanding of the market you live in and the cost of living and what your actual expenses are before you start talking about numbers. So the first step that I do with anybody from from a pure business planning perspective, because I want to make sure your business is in order, is you know, we we go through and like we write down all of, you know, all of your expenses, everything that's fixed, right? So your living expenses, your your travel, your car, any debt that you have, student loans, credit card, whatever, anything that comes out every single month, right? And then we go through and we, we figure out your variable expenses. So then we know, like, we can sit down and say, hey, you know, realistically, you know, you live in New York, you live in a two, you know, you, you, you live with three roommates in a three, three bedroom apartment, but you're still paying $3,000 a month in rent, right? So we look at this and we say, okay, based on everything that you have, you've got $6,500 to $7,000 a month in, right? And, and just fixed expenses that we know are going through. So we look at that and, you know, $100,000 a year is $8,600 a month. Yeah. That's not cutting it. You're going to get taxed 30%, maybe more, yeah. depending on what it is, right? So you, we look at that number and like, that's a, like, man, you're leaving New York in three months. You're not going to make it. You're going to be bankrupt, right? You're, you're going to be in debt forever making $100,000 a year. Now, if you're in Topeka, Kansas, or even St. Louis, Missouri, you can probably make a pretty good living there. You can make that happen, right? So we need to know based on where you live and based on your actual scenario, what you want to do, how much money you actually need to make per month, right? From there, I break it down per week. So maybe maybe it is $10,000 a month, right? For just general math perspective, that's $2,500 a week. Cool. All right. Do you want to work 25 hours a week? You want to work 50 hours a week? Because now we need to figure out from a pricing perspective where you're going to sit. Right. So we need to make sure that every every hour that you're working meets your margins for what you actually want to do. And once we get that set up, we can set up complete pricing structures for everything you want to do. Right. That's step one. And then, you know, step two is, you know, obviously we also have to understand, you know, do you know who your demographic actually is? Are you marketing to the right people? Are you getting on social media and just talking to other coaches? Right? Like it's great. You know what I'm saying? Because coaches mainly just talk to other coaches. Like you see it on social media too, right? It's like, and, and, and beyond that, it's also just, you know, it's, it's also just a, it's a demographic bias, right? Where you're going to follow the people that you already agree with. So there's a whole lot of, you know, back padding and everything else and the social validation, all those good things. But are you growing? Are you learning? Are you actually speaking to people who might be interested in training with you? Or are you just interacting with your peers and colleagues while you're on social media? Because that's also a huge missed opportunity for anybody who wants a remote business, right? Because that's, that's where you can build a remote business the best and the most efficiently. Because again, it's like, man, we work with people all over the world. I'm sure you do as well, right? Where it's just like, you're not limited by geography, by set hours, even by currency. You know, from that perspective where you can work with anybody anywhere and the best place to market yourself and find those people is online, right? Because that's the, you know, that's the universal language is Instagram at this point, right? Like that's what it really is. 
So it's like, that's where like, you need to make sure the message you're getting out is actually going to the people that you want to talk to. And, you know, like you and I, we talk to coaches a lot because we work in education. A lot of the people I train are coaches, right? And that's, that's partly because we've probably been in the industry for so long. And that's who we kind of cater to from that perspective. But someone in their first couple of years of training, they don't need to talk to coaches. That's probably not who they need to market to. They need to find that general population or the athlete demographic, whoever, right? Whatever their, whatever their business is built around, those are the people they need to find and actually speak to. Hey guys, it's Luke and I wanted to let you know about this year's Vagaro Iconic.23 Business Conference in San Diego. It is the fitness conference of the year. I mentioned that last year was my first time speaking at this event and it was incredible. Not just how I got treated, how the attendees got treated, how everything was organized and just the knowledge drop was incredible. So make sure you don't miss out on this exclusive industry knowledge and the networking opportunities that are gonna come at this event. It all takes place in September 24th and 25th in sunny San Diego. You can get your tickets today at Iconic com, and you can use the discount code LUCAH. So that's a capital L, lowercase U-K-A and capital H. And for a limited time, you can get a discount. So I'm excited to see you in San Diego. Can't wait. And that's, I mean, this is the, the 101. It's so, it's so interesting you brought this up because we got a part-time coach that we're bringing on. And basically my first conversation was like, hey, look, like I'll, I believe in you and I'll invest in you because you won't be making the money at the beginning, but here's the deal. What do you need to be at baseline to be good? And then once you make that and more, then you get paid more, obviously. But it's like, it, hey, you got to, and it was like, uh, I got to go figure it out, right? It, yeah. Most people are not figuring out where they even are with their expense. It's like the, I mean, honestly, it's like financial literacy, number one, right? And then setting a target and going, and sometimes the reason why I think it's important because people will throw out numbers and then to get to that target, I like to be a reality person and be like, hey, you can make this happen, by the way. I, I believe that you can, 100%. But you're trying to work 20 hours a week. This is going to take 50 hours a week. Now, once you get there and you get, you know, you can bump your rates up and you're doing this and that, yeah, it can be less. But just this is the reality check, right? Um, so, I mean, actually, what's what's your experience with that? Because you, because you mentor a lot and um, I would say coach a lot of coaches as well your experience with having to sometimes bust through to show reality versus like, Oh shit. Like I didn't know this was what, I, what it's going to take. So it's funny. Cause I, I have this conversation a lot with, with individuals and groups and I always relate it back to training. I try to relate as many conversations that I have with people to training concepts because again, a lot of these concepts are pretty universal principles, you know, in a lot of ways. Right. So I'm just like, you know, like speaking about the hours, right? Like all we're talking about there is accumulation intensification cycles, right? Like you need to yes. a lot. So this cycle might take months. It might take a year, but we need to get to a point where we've got you at 30, 40, 50 hours a week, right? At that point, we can, we can build on in some intensification, right? We can have, we can look at vertical growth. We can increase prices. We can do a few different things. We can bring in more revenue streams. We can do, you know, there's a lot of different options. We're going to increase and, and introduce a new stimulus, right? From that perspective, right? And then we're, you're going to cycle in through that. And then that's probably going to be a little shorter phase, a little more direct, but then we're going to get, once we get there, right? We meet tolerance. Then we're going to go into another accumulation phase and you're going to build up, right? And you're going to build up to full capacity within that model. And once you're at full capacity within that model, once you've, you know, quote unquote plateaued, then we can build in a little bit more intensification, 
right? We can insert another revenue stream. We can insert a, another model, maybe even change it all together. We can change your pricing structure and then we're going to build it. So we're going to stair-step this whole thing the same way you would periodize a program. And, and I think, you know, when I talk with coaches, the, the biggest, and it's the same way I talk with clients, right? Is like, I always try to relate it back to something that they're familiar with because that's the easiest way to learn anything. And, and this is where, you know, in the past, I've invested in a lot of education. I know a lot of big words. Big words are, they're super impressive and they intimidate people and they scare people, but people usually don't draw that much from them because they don't have, they don't have anything, you know, in their background that relates to it. And the way that, you know, education of any kind is built, same way with progressing an exercise is it's built on the foundation of something that you already have competency in, right? So I'm going to look at coaches and say, Hey, you know, training, you know, you've read, you've read BAPA, you know, program, you know, periodization, you know, exercise selection. And I'm going to relate just about any conversation I can have to those variables for you so that you can assimilate that information quicker and use it faster. And, and I think those conversations, like in the past where I've just tried to explain things with maybe the jargon or the terminology that's kind of built into those concepts, people just, they, you know, eyes glaze over and they kind of look at you and they're like, what? Like, like you said, we don't get exercise science degrees don't come with econ minors. Like, yeah. or, you know, it's like, we don't, we don't learn this stuff in school and very few certifications teach it. Like, God forbid, like we all know how a pelvis and a femur works in 2023, but very few people can like actually manage their, their checking account. Right. It's, it's kind of problematic <laughs> from an industry perspective. So we have to, when we're relating this to, to the coaches, especially new coaches, young people, the more I can relate it back to something they're super interested in and they have, they have some, some intellect and experience in the faster we can get moving forward with them. You know, so I just build everything into that. That's such a, by the way, that's a great analogy. I'm going to give you props for it. I'm stealing it. I'm <laughs> using it. hundred. And it's, it's funny because like I have, you know, uh, Mondays I have a biz coaching call with our mentorship. And it's funny you say that because I'm, you know, I went and uh, talked about Facebook ads for, for gym owners, right? And it, cause this is what happens, right? Somebody starts doing something 10 days later, like this is not working and they kick it off. And I literally go to like, Hey, listen, imagine going to a coaching client, you're helping them change their nutrition. You know, they haven't done any of this stuff. And then 10 days, 14 days later, they're frustrated because obviously it's behavior change. It's not like I just do this and, and they just go like, fuck it, it's not working. I'm done. Mm -hmm. You get frustrated as a coach. I'm like, you're doing the same thing when it comes to a strategy, for instance, for marketing in, in a certain sector. But it's true. Like, you know, people have the aha moments like, man, yeah, that is kind of, uh, I got I got to stick with it. I got to stick with it just like I tell them to stick with it, right? So I think that's that's a a, a big part of it. Now, here's a, this is one of the ways I, this whole accumulation intensification is is so good. Um but today, I mean, and you're a great example of this. I've I've done this where now I do a bunch of different things, but again, there's been a lot of accumulations and intensification phases, right? At what point, because this is, you know, I'm, I'm sure that this is something that you get a, 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 um, a lot. So m what is your perspective on it? On at what point in time? Because now we can do like, you can go like, hey, I, I'm coaching 25, 30 hours a week and I'm doing online stuff, right? Like I'm doing online programming and coaching and this, that, the other. And, you know, where, where as somebody that's new in an industry and you get blasted with the social media, oh my God, that guy's killing it. He's doing a million online. Like, Fuck it, like, I don't even, I'm not even going to coach people, right? Like, I'm just going to dabble here a little bit, shoot videos and then go, like, wh what would, what do you recommend or, you know, question when you get that? I mean, I get a lot of it. I would love to hear your perspective on it, on uh, kind of how you guide, guide folks 
on that part. Yeah. And I mean, and this is, this is a big topic. You know, this is, this is something that, you know, we talk with a lot of people about and, and definitely just like my, myself and, and Matt and, and the other guys that I work with, like we talk about it amongst ourselves a lot too, because like we do get a lot of young coaches who have grown up in this like digital social media age, right? Like they've come into the industry in the last five years. Some of them came into COVID where you couldn't even work with people mm. in person, right? Yeah. And their their perception of the industry is completely different than ours. And and the the big thing, you know, when I'm working with with young coaches who have aspirations of, you know, just going straight to remote or virtual or whatever, you know, is is one. I try my hardest not to be like the get off my lawn old guy, even though I want to be, because, because I had to, I had to grind and struggle and do all these things. Um, Because I do understand like, you know, okay. Like I think that's beneficial. I think that gave me a lot of perception, but I also realistically know that it's not actually completely necessary this year. If you're good enough for what you do. Now, the caveat is you have to be really good at what you do. And, And I think that's where, a lot of coaches are going to look at, you know, such and such who does a million online or whatever, you know, that, you know, this person who's got 700,000 followers and does $10 templates and makes $40,000 a month off of it or, or whatever. Right. And, and the big thing is it's like, Hey, like you wouldn't be, you know, pick up a basketball for the first time, watch an NBA game, catch LeBron James playing and say, yep, I'm going to be that guy. You know, it's like, that's, we know that's not realistic, right? We know that, you know, you're not going to go from where you are to that probably in the next six months, right? So how, how do we build a foundation that you could actually get there, right? And, you know, my, my big thing is if you can train people in person first, always train people in person first, because yeah. I, I think the, the industry, if you look online, like there's an obsession with optimal, right? Right now, that, that's the new functional. Like we grew up in the functional world, right? Where everything was functional, this functional, that. And then we all realized like, okay, this word doesn't actually mean anything, right? There's no, <laughs> there's no context to it. Like it, it only means something if it's being applied to something else, right? Nothing is globally functional. The same way that, you know, we look at this, it's like, okay, well, like, sure. From a biomechanical perspective, like there's a way that we, we could move more efficiently. And there's a way to set up programming that, that would allow for more optimal results within a session or whatever. But man, I've been in an equinox in New York at 7 p.m. Have you? Oh, yeah. Insanity. Because your program is going to fall to shit. I don't yeah. know if I can swear, but it's going to fall course, to crap yeah. in about two minutes. Okay. Like, you know, you're just, you're not going to be able to, like optimal and realistic aren't the same thing, right? And, and I think that's where coaches can, you know, we talked about theory, like they can theorize the best program or they can create the best theoretical program or model or system or whatever, but then you introduce real human beings into that model in real environments. Again, because models are in a vacuum, right? Yep. We can't predict what the environment's going to hold for us. We can't predict the individual within it. So everything looks good on paper, right? Like that's not hard to do, right? It's, it's the whole thing. Like, every, you know, it's like the, the Mike Tyson quote about getting punched in the face, right? Like, yeah. you know, it's just like your plan falls apart as soon as you get hit with your first amount of stress, right? Your first stimulus. And I think this is where, you know, with coaches, it's like, you need to write out programs and then go train people in a real training environment and see if those programs actually hold up. Like how much flexibility do you have within those things? Because again, it's like, okay, well, 
your client might come in 15 minutes late. Your client might have a stomach ache. Your client might've, you know, again, like stepped off a curb and, you know, sprained their ankle. They might skip the session altogether. What's that do for your actual like microcycle and mesocycle? You go to the gym, none of the equipment you want is available. You have to wait. It throws off your timing. They don't like that exercise. They don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. Right. So you get all these real world contraindications, you know, happening within every session. And you have to understand that if you're going to train people virtually, all those things happen. Yes. In a gym. And you're not there to decision make. Right. So you, even if you are really good in person and you're a problem solver and you're quick to shift into something else and you can find alternative exercise selections, whatever, when you put somebody on a virtual program or on a, on a remote program and put them in a gym, you're not there for that in-person decision-making process. So you program completely different because you have to program for realistic sometimes, right? Depending on what environment they are, not necessarily optimal. And I think that's where like, if coaches can understand that, if they've been in the arena, if they've been in gyms, if they worked with different clients of different demographics, different training goals, whatever, then they begin to realize that it's just like, okay, like a lot of training is problem solving. It's not predictive all the time. You're always reacting to an environment. You're always reacting to a very flawed human being usually, right? So it's just like, you can't, just write something out and expect it to get done. And then even worse, get it done 16 times a month perfectly. Yeah. So that you can program out the next block. Right. It just doesn't work that way in reality. I mean, working with professional athletes, it doesn't work that way. No. Sometimes I mean, it's worse. Yes. Yeah, I mean, this is the thing though, too. Like I remember even getting into the industry and like thinking like I'm, you know, so smart because I already had such a um background of training, right? And and I was like, oh, this. It's going to be, but this is exactly what happens. You start working with people and it's an absolute, like it's a slap in the face to how much different it is. And then what yeah. starts happening, because I was the person who was like, I just want to train a lot of athletes, but everything else took off. Cause I was, I was good at what I did. And you know, on, on, on a charisma and personality part of things. So the group training grew, the semi-private group, you know, people that want to lose fat and body transformations that grew. But now I'm working with, you know, this guy's got two replaced hips. This person got a fused spine. This lady's got this. And it was just like, holy shit, like everything completely gets turned around. And and as you build that pool of experience through, you know, I mean, for me, it's like, I think 4,000 something clients now is it, it's, you know, you start really grasping reality and getting better at like making decisions. I, di- I didn't, you know, and pr- probably for both of us, it's like, we didn't even have the opportunity of online training the first 10, like probably 10 years, right? I mean, eight it to 10 was. years of my career. Um, but even later, I, I, you know, just kind of started going into the education realm and, and launching uh, a bunch of online things too. But it's, you know, the people that I did take on for the last four years of very few of online coaching, I have such a pool of experience. Like when things come up, it's like, oh yeah, okay, cool. Let's adjust. Let's do that. Even, even from the get go, I'm creating better programming That's yeah for, for the reality of what's going to happen. Right. And, and I feel like that's just, you know, it'll make you again for everybody that's, that's like, I want to go online. I, I tell people like, you'll be a significantly better online coach with as much offline experience as possible. And, um, and I think again, too, like it's the longevity thing, right? Like if, if do you want to do this for the long game? All right. If you're going to do it for the long game, then, you know, then 
build again those foundational steps of <laughs> accumulation yeah. intensification. And, and if you want to go fully online, great. But you know, there, there is a process that's a better process for you to get there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that's where I mean, and again, you look at the turnover rate in this industry, it's like yeah. 250%. You know, I mean, it it is more people leave this industry than come into it every year. And that that I think is one of the reasons why is, you know, everybody wants to expedite past the experience side of things. Like the experience is hard, right? That's the law that nobody wants to do it. So everybody's looking for the, the, the workaround, right? And I think, you know, people see the remote coaching aspect of things as this magical workaround. And, and again, they even get marketed towards it by, you know, business coaches online where this is, the, this is it, this is what you need to do. And then they realize there's 500,000 remote coaches on social media, yeah. right? You know, and you're just like, Oh, this is actually just as saturated as in-person coaching. Right. Like, and I think that's where it, it becomes a conundrum, you know? And, and I think it, yeah, I, I just, I'm, just to echo what you said, like, I definitely truly believe that the people who have the most success online were probably successful in person first. The more, you know, just nine times out of 10, 90 time, 99 times out of 100, I think that experience helps. Um, yes. Like you said, not even just problem solving, but just writing better programs because you know these things are going to come up. You can predict that you have to be flexible. And writing a program and just giving somebody four weeks of training and then not interacting with them, not changing whatever, like, okay, you lost that client after one month. Like you might've got, you got one, one check. And, and I think that's where even going into the way that we program our people, like we program weekly, right? Like I, we've got daily questionnaires, we've got weekly feedback, we've got monthly feedback. And I look at all those subjective numbers I look at, you know, from a training perspective, what's going up, what's going down their, their, um, their RPE versus what I prescribed from an RPE perspective and then their feedback, you know, and I know from my own training experience, right? Like not everything progresses on the same line. Right. So then I can progress, maintain, regress things at an individual level week over week over week. I can switch out exercises. If something's not working for somebody, I can change anything I need week to week, which gives them a much better level of service. But it also just allows me to be more agile and flexible from a programming perspective where a lot of my clients aren't even on like block phases of any kind. We're just moving throughout. I'm, you know, progressing or, or intensifying one stimulus because I, one stimulus by maintaining another, right? Because I end up doing a lot of concurrent based work anyway with most of my people. And that allows me to really look at things acutely and at the big picture. So I can look at like total stimulus, total volume versus acute stimulus to volume per exercise or per pattern, you know, whatever. And then again, wrap that around all their conditioning mechanisms, right? So if they're in a higher intensification, you know, strength phase or whatever, if that's what it ends up being, I can then, you know, moderate all of their conditioning program into more of that low stem recovery based stuff that allows for them to, you know, kind of not burn the candle from both ends, you know, so to speak, as they're kind of going through that week or that couple of week, you know, change. This, this is uh, this is something I wanted to talk to you about um, just because I'm a geek on this side of things. And I, and I love a lot of the stuff that you share about programming and like real world programming. So this, you know, my, my whole kind of, uh, let's, let's call it brand on, it, it's turned into this, you know, it's not where it started, but my, the way that I view myself and, and is like the whole athlete for life model, right? Like I never want to 
feel like I can't do stuff. Now with age, it changes, you know, but I'm still, you know, I, I still got a bunch of ego and I'm like, all right, when NFL guys come in, I want to beat them in a bunch of shit, even though I'm 42 and, you know, and I'm like, yeah, I still got it. Um, but the whole, you know, the, I guess the, the, the brand for me is like, Hey, have the show, like people want to look good, but they want to feel and perform good, but without the beat up joints. Right. If you, if you're and so if, if you had a bunch of uh, principles around, cause I know I'm, I'm assuming, and I know uh, you're definitely a guy that's still very fit, very capable. Um, and if that was, if that was your, um, the question, Hey, Kyle, how do you help somebody be an athlete for life? What are some, you know, if we look at the ingredients and we're going to put in the cauldron, the little recipe, like what, what are the things that we got to cook in there oh, to yeah. make sure everybody gets um, to, to build that athlete for life? Yeah. I mean, generally from a more conceptually conceptual perspective, you know, it's whenever I'm assessing a new person, like if, if they're going to give me that, uh, like that's a request, you know, one, I always, it's, I assess the task beforehand. Right. So if somebody's a football player, I'm going to look at, you know, what it takes to become a better football player, like what qualities from a physical and physiological perspective does the sport require? So if somebody wants to be an athlete for life, like I need them to first and foremost, like, tell me what that means. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. Right. Like what, what activities do you, are you interested in from that perspective? You want to be able to run, you want to be able to jump, you want to be able to go play pickup basketball, pick up soccer, whatever on the weekends. What's that actually mean to you? Because then I can look at that, those activities and assess like, what's going to get you there the most efficiently, right? Like, because again, like if somebody wants to be able to play, you know, basketball on the weekends, right? Like, okay, well, I know from a, from a few perspectives, like one, we've got some aerobic, you know, you know, qualities and abilities that we probably need to bring up, right? Because we need to be able to work within several different zones, manage fatigue and play for longer, right? Just from an oxidative perspective, I want you to be able to go in and play for two or three hours and feel good about it. From a pure tissue perspective, all right, well, we need to look at soft tissue. We need to look at connective tissue. You're, you need to be able to create both, um, you know, kind of repeat capacity from a plyometric perspective and stiffness from, an, from, from a plyometric perspective. So we're going to add in both, you know, um, low, and, low and high level plyometrics, right? And, and then from just a pure strength perspective, like is strength even a limiter for you? Right. Like, cause this is what I ran into, you know, as a college basketball player is I went in at 185, you know, at six, four, and also a track athlete. So I was kind of long, wiry and lean. And I, you know, first time I dunked, I was 14 years old and I could run a 46 second, 400. I graduated at 220 and, you know, much bigger, much stronger, much worse at basketball you know, from that perspective, right? <laughs> like, like, again, not, not a bad basketball player, but I just like, I, I lost some of that, that elasticity that I probably came in with, you know, that mm -hmm. I just naturally had built up over years of playing and, and kind of the things that I was doing. So I'm going to look at that individual and say like, Hey, like from a strength perspective, do you need more power? Is that a rate limit or a performance limit? Do you need more strength? Right. Are you a, a super skinny post that's getting boxed out of bounds on every play? Like, yeah, we're, we'll be we'll build your base. We'll do that. Right? We can make that happen. But if you're somebody who's already kind of muscling people to the basket and stuff, cool. Like, we're just going to maintain that quality and work on some of the other things, right? And I think that's where understanding those qualities and then kind of having dimmer switches on them and understanding like which ones you need to bring up, which ones you can maintain, and which ones you don't really need to care that much about is a good way to kind of go about it from that perspective. But I, I would definitely say, you know, again, 
conditioning is is that's something that I've I've grown to value much more just generally as I've gotten older. Um, I think it's something I took for granted forever because I was just conditioned. I played sports all the time. Um, now that I actually have to try to be conditioned, I have to seek it out. It's a little different. And I'm like, okay, this is something I need to actually train and work into my programming. And then, you know, again, like all the, all the plyometric stuff, the intensives, the extensives, I think especially extensives, like that's something that yeah, they're not as fun. They're not as flashy They're mm-hmm. But when I look at even like my general population clients, if I can get them some hopping capacity and just build up that lower leg strength, they just get better at everything. Everything feels better. They walk better. They they're able to perform daily tasks better and their training improves. Right. So just looking at feet, ankles, lower leg strength, um, and then building capacity within those. Um, and then kind of working in and just again looking from a biomechanical perspective, okay, like what positions can you get into well? What can you not get into well? And from that perspective, okay, if you're someone who from a morphological perspective, you know, you're, you're super tall with long legs and you have a hingy squat because you simply can't get your knees more forward than they already are. Can we change your center of mass through front loading? Do we need to like, again, like what, from a goal perspective, what really matters to you from, from that perspective? If you're somebody who just doesn't move well because they're, they're stiff or they need more constraints or whatever, what exercise selection can we find that actually allows you to you know, inherently feel safe in that position is, is a hack squat going to be better for you than like an upright squat variation, right? Can we give you enough support that you're able to kind of move into those ranges of motion with less threat? Right. Um, so again, I, like all of those things will build into extra, everything from exercise selection to programming, to dosing, you know, of those, of those qualities. Um, obviously then as we get into deeper plyometrics and conditioning, like I'll usually work like frontal plane and triplanar movement into those things to kill the two birds with one stone yep. rather than necessarily separate it and try to isolate it. So I end up doing a lot of like slide board capacity work. Like today, myself and my own workout, I did a 20 minute LICT block of crossover step ups on a bench. It was terrible, Lovely. but my hips <laughs> felt great afterwards. Um, but again, that's a way for me to get adduction, abduction, internal, external rotation as I'm going through those patterns. Um, a lot of sled work, lateral sled drags, again, mm-hmm. building tolerance because those are basically, you know, all concentric from that perspective. So you can kind of build in a bunch of tolerance without the DOMS and some of the fatigue management that you might need for something that's more eccentrically focused. Um, so it's like, I end up working in a lot of movement competency-based stuff on my conditioning days so that I can focus on strength, power, hypertrophy, whatever on the strength days. Man, that's, I mean, I swear it's like you're mirroring my, like, it's, you're, you're talking about, I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me. This is crazy. <laughs> but it's, it's so interesting though, because like uh, two viewpoints, right? One is from, you know, like you said, when I played, cause I, I would say probably the first 10 years of, I was, I was weird. I'd coach people all day, but I'd still get three ball sessions in a week. You know, I'm playing for an hour and a half. Cause that was like my outlet. And now I don't, but like, but I'm getting back to it. But you forget, you know, even though I, I train hard, I, I do extensive stuff, you know, playing two hours of basketball ag- aggressively is just a whole world of volume of starting, stopping, multi-direct. It's nuts, right? So I can, I can train like a maniac. That first session, the first week is just soreness in places that, um, you know, you're rediscovering. Yep. And, and it's like, if you have a good base, I, I think obviously that helps. Like I'm not going out and, and injuring myself, but, but, you know, 
if I picked it up to two, three days a week, that would be, that would be a problem. So even for somebody that's done it in the past, it's so important, you know, and I was just sharing this, that like when you went to, to the strength, uh, to the weight room back in the day when I was in college or even when I was playing pro, well, we had practices left and right, right? We had conditioning days. We had, you know, skill stuff. We we're doing three on three and five on five and higher tempo. So when I, when you hit the weight room, it's like, okay, we're working on strength, building muscle maybe, and maybe some like, you know, uh, force velocity curve stuff that we're not touching on. And, and, but we had all this other stuff. Now you have to plug this stuff in. It's not, it's not a, it'll be a good idea. It's like, it's a must if you want to have, you know, resilient tissues is as corny as that sounds, but like, if you want to build up those properties that you're going to need on a basketball court, flag football, whatever else it may be, it, it, it can't be a, a, an optional thing. And again, for somebody that maybe is more like, I love lifting weights and, you know, I'm a meathead. It's like, Hey, that might be, let's maintain, but other pieces of the pie have to come up and we have to plug them in. So that that's a standpoint from somebody that used to do it. But for people, I, I, you made a great point. Everybody needs this. Like, tell me a client that in life deals with whatever they're going to deal with that doesn't need to have reactivity, more elastic tissues, reaction time, uh, be able to catch themselves in, you know, multiple planes or whatever it may be. Um, it, it's, it's a must. It's not something that's like, oh, you know, this is fun. Let's plug it in for them. You know, do you, do you have, do you coach or, or hey, like I'll say folks that are just like, Hey, here's my goals. They're not like really super athletic oriented, but you're, you're plugging that stuff in for them. Yeah. I mean, not like currently pretty much all my people are athletes or coaches, but I mean, I've had, I've had 70 year olds doing extensive pogo hops in the past, you know, again, it, it doesn't have to be plus plyos, right? Yep. Uh, shout them out. Cause I, I love, I love Matt, but but you can give them like a, a barrier, like an entry point into hopping. Right. Cause, cause that's what, like one of the, I don't, I don't have like the, the ID or the ID number, but there's like, there's a lot of research coming out right now because people have been looking so much like isometrics and like tendon health and stuff. Yeah. Plyometrics are actually better for regenerating and generating tendon health cross-sectionally than the isometrics. Right. So it's like, you look at, what I've been looking at lately for, you know, programming out for either entry level athletes, like even like looking at like, you know, kids, you know, from that standpoint to older people, older individuals is, you know, getting them into isometric positions, looking at, you know, some end range stuff, whatever, but then starting to introduce just low level, you know, extensive plyometrics, like just stationary hopping two foot, and again, what I love about it is, I mean, you can work, you can dose it in at 10 second intervals. It doesn't have to be 30 seconds or a minute or whatever. Like it can be super low dose, build it up. You can do supported band supported or have them holding on to something else. Right. So it doesn't have to be full body weight. Right. So you, you can go through and you can grade this a few different ways, but then they get good at that. You can have them do some lateral hopping, mm -hmm. right. Multi-directional. You can get them on one leg, Right. You know, and, and I think that's where, you know, if you can get people good at that, walking's no longer a problem. Yes. Right. So it's like, if I can get something that kind of grades just above everyday activity and supersedes it, then we're probably pretty good on the everyday activity stuff. Right. You know, and, and again, like theoretically, like there's still going to be squatting, hinging, single leg lifting, whatever. But can I give, can I spend five minutes a session 
as as part of their dynamic warm-up, working on a little bit of hopping, a little bit of extensive stuff, like absolutely. And you See, know, this, I think that's that's a good use of time for a lot of people. Yes, it's such a great point. I, and I kind of want to piggyback on this because I do a lot of, I mean, we've had large group training, but this small group personal training model I've really been developing for 14 years now. And it's like the end of dynamic warm-ups is always essentially extensive plows. And it can, might be through running drills. And we, you know, in, at least in my groups right now, the oldest is I think 65. At the gym, we got older than that, but like they have a regression that they work and it's like, it's challenging for them, but they can work it. And then we always have, so so there's a, a, actually probably about five minutes of that at the end of dynamic warmups. And then we do through strength training, we always add in contrast, right? So some, you know, even though people are like, oh, you can only use this in peak phases. I'm like, listen, this is gym pop, man. Like, you know, we train two days a week. We're fine. Yeah, exactly. We're it, it, you know, they'll be okay. But it's, <laughs> it's like, hey, trap bar deadlift to, you know, a hurdle, a low hurdle hop or maybe no hurdle hop to box jump. I mean, we, we regress that too, or we have band assisted stuff. But now throughout that two, three days a week, they're, they're getting this accumulation. It's been so crazy to see people that were never in sports and like a year later you know they're doing like a skips at like 50 60 years old and it's looking good and how much better they just move so i i love that you brought that up because you know just to think through as a coach hey are you know what are you doing if you're doing large group training and you're doing conditioning and you don't how do you implement these things um and also make them you know people love way more when we do like aerobic zone, you know, aerobic capacity work. And it's like multi-directional sled. And it's like, Hey, we're going to do tosses against the wall with a med ball. And it's like not crazy fast, but you're doing all this multi-directional work. It's more fun. It feels like you're athletic. You're, you know, but you are knocking out some uh, multiple birds, with one stone. How can you do that in your programming? That's kind of like, does the whole like, Hey, science smart, but also fun and engaging and challenging. Um, I think that's such a big, but that's what I, I, you know, I, I see you talk about and do, which I, I love about how you're um, approaching it. And as, as you brought this up, like I always am very intrigued by this, like right now for you, what's something you're like diving into? You're, you're like, I'm really ex uh, excited about this and I'm digging into, you know, research or, or studying something that you want to get better at. Yeah. I, I think the last, the last year or so, maybe even a little longer, like just, General kind of, and again, I, I probably talked about this a little bit a second ago, but just general conditioning principles, like bioenergetic work, like Evan Pycon is somebody that, you know, I, I stumbled across a few years ago, uh, probably three or four years ago, but I really just like started diving into his actual stuff. And, you know, the biggest thing that he does is, I mean, one, the guy literally works in a cardiorespiratory lab, like for like as part of his day job. And then he coaches athletes and works with people on the side. But he takes these principles and makes them so digestible and actionable. Mm -hmm. Like he got his name working with um, training think tank a few years ago with like actual games level CrossFit athletes, like just people like not, not walking into a box and just watching your everyday people live, but like the, the ones you see on TV winning money. Um, and, and I think that's where it's like, okay, well, these people are like, again, not exceptional at anything, but they're really good at, just about everything. everything yeah. you know, and I think that, that, that there's a lot to that, especially when you're looking at, you know, just again, like field sport, like I work with a lot of field sport athletes and a lot of endurance athletes, right? So I've got like right now with my remote coaching, I've got two triathletes, three or four other uh, endurance athletes, either running or cycling, two soccer players, a couple of rugby players, um, and a couple of basketball players. 
And then a few trainers who also just want to like train in like kind of that hybrid athlete way. Right. And it's like, okay, like we're not going to be elite at everything. What we're going to do is build a base that if you've got something up, we can get pretty good at it in a three months, right? You give me 12 weeks based off this base and we can get you through, through that 12 weeks of specificity into pretty good shape for whatever we're going to do. Right. And I think that's where, from a conditioning perspective and looking at how to start bringing in some of these bioenergetic models into a more complete concurrent program or model for my people and, and for my own training has really been something that I've been focusing on just a lot over the last probably 18 months um, as I've been getting back into running. Cause I, like, again, I've had several lower body injuries, knees, hips, um, over the years. And I got, you know, just through working a lot and everything else, like I got, I mean, I didn't run for probably 10 years. Yeah. And I mean, I grew up running. That was one of my big things. So getting back into it, especially now that I'm, you know, 40 pounds heavier than when I used to run and 20 years older has been something where it's like, okay, like I need to know what I'm doing because just going out and like running five miles on the streets anymore. Like that's not a, that's not a move for me. Like that's yeah. not, I'm not going to regret that you know, from that standpoint. Uh, you know, so planning those things out and, and making them, you know, complement the training that I'm doing has been, has been fun. It's been a really good puzzle, you know? And I think that's where kind of blending those things in. Like I said, a, a lot of the stuff I do is I only strength train two days a week and have maintained, you know, size and strength for really the last year. Um, I do a metabolic day where I'll do more kind of circuit based work, but it's, pretty low level. And it's definitely more kind of cardiovascular from that standpoint. That's, that's my third strength day typically. Um, and then like my main lifts, like I will kind of alternate, you know, every three weeks, which one I'm looking at from a high stem perspective versus a low. Cause I also found out through, you know, after years and years of running things like, you know, triphasic and some of the other classics, like I don't have a good, I don't have good tolerance for intensity, like three weeks of like a program like that. And I am, I'm broken down. Like I'm not feeling good. I'm getting diminishing returns off training. My life is probably also not going the way I want just from an everyday functionality perspective. So like I've looked at, it's like, okay, cool. Like I can, like this week, for instance, you know, my, my squat selection is a three by three, like 85% one RM Hatfield squats, something that's very constrained, something I can control, something that can load up pretty heavy. And then my hinge pattern is, you know, three by 10 single leg RDL, right? So I've moved that out of bilateral into something that's inherently going to be more self-limiting from a load perspective. I still load it up to a pretty heavy RPE, but again, it's nowhere near what my 85% one RM would be, you know, for on a trap bar, for instance, from that perspective. And I can work through that. And then the next time I phase through, I'm going to go into like a trap bar and like a single leg squat variation. And I can kind of alternate my upper body work kind of the same way. And then a lot of the accessory work I've been doing is very developmental and kind of density based where I'll do 30 to 60 seconds of, you know, again, instead of leg extensions and walking lunges, I've now got into just like, I'm doing split jumps. Right. And you get a hell of a quad pump oh, yeah. in, a minute, in a minute of split developmental split jumps. Right. So, you know, that's where it's like, I've kind of gone into where a lot of my high, my, traditional, like maybe back in the day, hypertrophy based work is now turned into some of these like developmental plyos where I'm looking at deep end range work and kind of working at stretch shortening cycles through end range, fuller ranges of motion, 
again, it's not necessarily like an intensive because my ground contact is probably a little too long, but I am working through force production. I am working through jumping patterns with it. Right? So there's a little bit of that. There's definitely yielding on the landing as well. So like that's kind of turned into what my accessory work has been. And that also complements the physical and physiological qualities I need for my running and my conditioning. Mm-hmm. All great points. And, and I'm glad that you brought these up because, you know, number one, and the the choices that you make when you're in your, maybe in your, you know, twenties and versus thirties versus forties start changing. So it's like stuff oh, that I used to talk shit about maybe like 15 years ago, but it's like now, you know, I'm, I just ordered a pendulum squat. I'm like so excited about getting a pendulum oh, squat. Yeah. Right. Cause it's like, I can have some axial load, but like feel no back. I got a belt squat. We got all, you know, I'm, I'm huge on single leg work, but same thing. I flipped trap bar i was like crushing it you know and then it stopped and then being like oh they're not crushing anymore all right i'm going to landmine load it pretty heavy i mean like very very similar to that degree but i think that's an important part like how can you mentioned threat and i've been so big on this for many many years right and not just threat from hey i set this up and somebody is like oh this doesn't feel good yeah well that's threat or maybe they have a past bad experience with it like you know what don't worry about it we're gonna switch this up now you can produce force you don't have this threat input, but I think that's such an important factor to it. And, and, and the other thing that you mentioned is, you know, with two to three days a week, being able to maintain everything. Right. And, yeah. and this is something that like, I learned through, like, I, I know how to advise others, but I had to be like, Hey, I'm getting off of this four day a week, hard training. And if, you know, all my numbers go up. I'm like, Holy shit. You know, obviously if I recover better, like you don't, the maintenance is when you've done training for a long time, like, maintenance takes so much less than you think. And then it allows you to do other stuff. That That's the big thing. And, and again, it's, it's that, it's that, that accumulation, like in our early, you know, through our twenties. Right. you know, I think every, every trainer, especially one that work, you know, that's worked in a box gym or in a, in a pretty stocked out facility. Like I used to train for three hours. <laughs> like you'd have a break from like 10 to four and you would train, you'd use, it'd be leg day. You'd use every leg machine plus whatever exercises you can squeeze in there. You drop set everything you'd like, you do, you do it all right. And then you go eat a big burrito and take a nap and then wake up and, you know, train your evening clients. Now, you know, again, it's like, I'm like, I'm six, four, I graduated college at six, four, I'm probably the same body comp or, or roughly the same as when I graduated school. Like I've gotten a little bigger through the years and now I've kind of dropped back down to that kind of resting position, but it's like, it's hard to lose muscle unless you stop doing everything altogether. Like I can maintain body mass and body composition and even outputs with pretty minimal work at at this part of my life. And I think that is something you, you start realizing is just like me training like four true strength, tra- strength training days a week just beats me up. Yeah. It just negatively inputs like what I'm actually getting from an outputs perspective. Like I, I can go in with, with two days and I'll call it two and a half with my metabolic day and feel good about everything that I'm doing and actually kind of work towards the RPEs and the outputs that I want and get the results on those things that I want. And then even on my conditioning days, like I'm working in patterning stuff I might throw some arms in after a conditioning day, get a pump or some shoulders or whatever as well, if I have the time for it. But it's just like every day from a GPP perspective as well, like I'm getting in stuff. Like I might have a five minute block of walking lunges or two or three of them. 
on one of my, on my moderate stem strength days. I might have some HICT med ball slams, box jumps, slide board, whatever, where I am getting a muscle stimulus through that process. And, and I think even training clients, I've got a lot of clients who, who strength train twice a week and think they strength train four times a week based on the GPP work they have. Yep. And they're not in a position right now from an ego perspective where they want to drop the days. So I just kind of programmed it in for them. They don't realize it and all, and their numbers keep getting better. You know, it's like, I throw an arm farm on the, on the back end of that GPP day. They think it's a strength training day. Oh, it's a strength day. Yeah. You and know, I got a leg, and I got a leg pump from uh, HICT step ups. Okay, cool. Yeah, like, it's like, strength. that was a strength training session. I got to push a sled around a little bit. This is yep. awesome. Whatever. And it's like, they don't realize they're only doing like two true strength training days. Yeah. But all their numbers are going up from a physical perspective. They feel great from a body comp perspective. Everything's going the right direction. And they'll kind of end up with like two strength training days, two hybrid kind of metabolic days, and then true two true conditioning days. And I'll usually, depending on where they're at, one might be high stem where they work on some short, hard stuff. And one might be low stem where they work on some longer duration work. Mm-hmm. And it ends up working super well for them on all fronts and they feel good. Man, I mean, I swear you're, you're speaking my language. This, this is such a, this is, but this is another thing that, you know, you can only kind of learn when, you know, I, I, I get a lot of high achievers and they like to train six days a week Yeah, and they get stuck. How do you do it? How do you actually program it for longevity? A hundred percent. And for, and to, you know, where after a while they're like, holy shit, I'm getting better results. Yeah, man. Listen, I, I, I could, you're, you're one of those guys. I could talk to you for forever about multiple topics. Um, <laughs> we're, we're definitely gonna have to do another episode. That's I, for sure. I'm more than happy. It does. That's for sure. I, like, first of all, I want to make sure that everybody knows where they can find out more about you. Uh, everything you have going on. What's the best places to, uh, to go to, whether it's social, whether it's websites. Yeah. Uh, Instagram is really, Definitely. It's definitely the best social media platform. It's the only one I'm, I'm really, I can only handle one. I'm too old for TikTok. <laughs> um, so compound performance, it's got an underscore after it on, on uh, Instagram is where I post the majority of my stuff. Um, and I'm pretty active on that answer DMS and everything. Uh, and then the website is just compoundperformance.com, And that's got all of our stuff um, from both the training and education perspective. Cool. Cause I'll, I'll drop all that in the show notes and we'll have all that ready. Awesome. Kyle, listen, man, this was awesome. This was, this was great. And we're definitely going to repeat it yeah. for everybody that's tuned in. Like, look, number one, I, I want to make sure more people follow Kyle. Cause he's doing, I mean, and sharing so much, so much great work. If you're a coach in industry, even if you're not, like I said, if you're into, uh, I would say fitness enthusiast and you want to, um, improve. And like I said, become more of an athlete for life. I'm telling you, he shares so much great stuff. But also, if you love the episode, make sure you share the episode. This is how we spread the word. We get more people educated. Um, again, building careers. I think that's a big, big part of it. That's why we, we, know we touched on multiple points about that. So make sure you do that. Leave review. Appreciate you guys. Appreciate you, Kyle. And uh, we will see you in the next episode. Peace out, my friends.